For years of my life, I've heard people argue on the inerrancy of the Bible and that it never contradicts itself. Then I read the Bible and I say, wow, this contradicts itself. My daughter went off to college and came home saying, Dad, do you know there's a Noah story in other religions? Do you know that they say some of the stories in the Bible didn't happen? And her faith was shaken, as it should be. That's my theory. We have to have our faith shaken on an ongoing basis so that we can know what's real and what we really believe. And some of the things we fought over, six-day creation, for instance, make our arguments weak and in some cases completely invalid for the importance of the Bible and the story of Jesus. Some of these things we just need to let go. But how do we know? Well, in my Saturday Bible chat this week, I talked about how do we read the Bible and discern what is important to know and what may be fable or something the author put in there or something somebody put in later for other purposes. All of these things are true, yet I believe don't invalidate the Bible as an important book and a, an important representation of a view of God and as an inspirational tome for us to use today. But if we're going to absolutely demand that Jonah have been swallowed by a whale, we may find it tougher to draw people to our belief system than not. So I talked today in my Bible chat about how do we discern what's important for us to know and what do we hold loosely in our theology. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Let me tell you one thing. I'm releasing a couple more segments of the audiobook version of my novel, Joseph Comes to Town. And so you can join by being in our MPE Patreon community and hear my novel recorded with me reading it. How do you join? You go to the website, pastor-paul.com. Click on that Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner. And if you're on an iPhone, I understand that button isn't in there. So then you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash NPE podcast. That's patreon.com slash NPE nonpartisan evangelical NPE podcast.com. And the money that you put in there through Patreon for your membership helps build this mission and message of the nonpartisan evangelical and me, old Pastor Paul. It's for profit. You don't get a tax write off because I want to pay taxes for streets and schools and things that help make my community better. But I do think you'll be blessed by being a part of our community and you'll have my undying gratitude for your help. And if you join at the $12.99 a month level, I'll send you an autographed copy of the paperback version of my book as well. So get the audiobook series and at $12.99 a month or higher, you'll get a paperback version of the book autographed by me. So go to pastor-paul.com. You can click on that Joseph the Novel button to find out more about how it all works. Hope you will. Now enjoy this podcast, my Saturday morning Bible chat with Pastor Paul, right here on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at pastor-paul.com. For those willing to listen, learn, and have eyes to see and ears to hear, this is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Challenging the mindset of right-wing Christianity and encouraging people to have their minds renewed and hearts transformed. What knucklehead, mush for brains, evangelical leaders are trying to, uh, to overthrow Trump. It's a special kind of dumb and calling yourself a Christian. Let's have better conversations about the life modeled in the Bible so we can truly tell the world God is not mad at you. 
This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. All right. So God bless our time together today. We speak a holy blessing over our time together that even the very unworthy guy named Pastor Paul can bring us something of value into this today. And so we'll need the spirit of heaven to come and enliven what we do here. So I want to talk, we'll start in Matthew 1. I'll read a little bit and we'll see where we go. Oh, choice du jour means choice of the day and is the names of the two people that came to Neo's door. Ah, okay. In the first Matrix, great movie. I love it. Love it, love it. So glad you guys are here. It means a lot to me that you would give your time to me. So let's read from Matthew chapter one. So we started last week and we went through the lineage of Jesus. And if you haven't seen that lesson, go back and check it out on YouTube. TikTok doesn't save our lives, but YouTube does. And uh, yeah, last week the preacher was preaching, as we say in some Southwestern parlance where I'm from, not quite South like my friend Gene, but we'd say, wow, that preacher was preaching today. And so it was preaching. I was talking about the amazing inclusiveness of God to include the people he included in the lineage of Jesus. So now let's start talking about the birth of Jesus and what I was talking about with my Patreon group that we had a little private meeting this morning before I came on here. How do we look at the miraculous supernatural of the Bible without it being a hindrance to our faith? So join in. You can keep telling me where you're from. I probably won't deal with your comments for a while here, but then in about 20 minutes or so, I'll let you start asking questions and we'll start communicating back with you guys. So let's start in verse 18 of Matthew chapter one. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, that means promised to be married. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the same name as Joshua in the Old Testament, and it means the Lord saves. So that's they're saying, call him Jesus, because his name is going to signify this idea that of salvation, of a reconnection with heaven. And so that was his name. And so know that Joshua in the Old Testament is Jesus, probably pronounced something like Yeshua, both of them. And, and we're just reading it through different languages, Hebrew to Greek to English. And we come up with Jesus. Our Spanish friends would say Jesus, but that's what it is. All this took place in verse 22. It says to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Oh, my camera fell. Sorry, YouTube. Sorry, Zoom guys. Wow, that hasn't happened before. Let me reset. There we go. Gosh, how did that happen? <laughs> it's miraculous. Something amazing is happening here. All right. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Jesus woke from, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So the one thing that jumps out to the passage to me all the time is, Okay, so they told him to name him Jesus. They're, then they're quoting a prophecy from Isaiah with, and saying his name will be Emmanuel. So it's, wait a second. They told him to name him Jesus, but the prophecy, which is from the prophet Isaiah, which was written thousands of years before what took place here, probably a couple of thousand years, well, that says his name is going to be Emmanuel. So why call him Joseph and not Emmanuel? So one thing to, to know a lot, when, when we talk about names in the Bible, that was about an essence of who somebody was. And, and it was, it's really sad to think of those things better have been inspired because they would give children names at birth that spoke to their character. And so like Jacob was named Jacob and the term Jacob literally meant heel catcher or it meant swindler. 
And so there's a couple of ways to look at that. Either those names were divinely inspired from heaven, or they were really mean oppressions put on kids and the kids lived up to their name, if you will, because of nature versus nurture kind of an idea. Or those stories were written in arrears and they were adjusted to make the point of what they were being told. And I'm really comfortable with all of this. So this is not saying necessarily that Jesus' name was going to be Emmanuel and he was going to walk around and people were going to go and say, hey, there's Emmanuel, there's Emmanuel, there's Emmanuel. But it was the idea of this essence of who he was that Isaiah said there would be this child born and he would be the essence of proving that God is not afar off in heaven somewhere judging us, but God is actually among us and living with us and a part of us, that Emmanuel is God with us. That's That was, as a kid, I'm like, wait a second, they said, call him Jesus, but Isaiah said his name was going to be Emmanuel. And how many names did this, guy's ha- this guy have? So thank you, Vern, for sharing the live on TikTok. And I would love it if you guys would do that and share it out. And again, go through my stuff to, to let's try to get some activity brewing again on the page. That would be awesome. So that's the end of Matthew chapter one. And so a couple of things that I see there is this idea of the virgin birth. And I was just talking about this with my Zoom friends from our Patreon page earlier. And and the question that I often have when I look at scripture and the Bible, hey, let me make sure I adjust my YouTube picture here, my equipment. I keep looking for the perfect setup and I'm going to find it by the time I'm 100 and everything keeps moving just a little bit. I'm setting up my YouTube shot there. That should be good. What are the hills we have to die on? I I was talking about a book written by a pastor named Andy Stanley out of Georgia who talked about, let's not fight for things that aren't hills that are worth dying on so that when our kids go off to college and start looking at the internet and they start saying, hey, wait a second, there's no historical evidence of a Tower of Babel and the story flat out doesn't make sense, which is what I said as a kid, build a tower to heaven. What the heck does that mean? Yeah. And God banning people from living past 120, and then somebody did live past 120. What are the things we die on? And the virgin birth is a really interesting because for many, the virgin birth is a hill we die on because they say that is to the essence of whether God, whether Jesus was just another man or whether he was actually God with us. And I was doing some research on the virgin birth this week and the theology of it. And so there's a couple of schools of thought with looking at theology, and some of it is, sorry, I got to do some adjusting. My equipment is not holding on well this morning, and so I'm having to continually adjust. Sorry for that. So there are people that look at the Bible, and they say anything miraculous couldn't have happened. So virgin birth, miraculous resurrection from the dead where Jesus was dead for three days and came back to life. They say maybe they thought he was dead and he had this physical condition where he seemed to be dead and he came and people will say, if it was miraculous, it couldn't have happened. And then there's this other stream of Christianity is yes, the resurrection happened, but everything else that's miraculous in there didn't happen. There's no way there could have been a a big fish swallow, a, a whale swallow up Jonah which we then say, oh, by the way, the Bible never said that it said big fish, and people just assume that it had to be something as big as a whale. That couldn't have happened, but the resurrection did happen. And then there's others that look at the Bible, and ah, it's a compilation of myths and fairy tales, and so anything supernatural is just mythical writing that fits the mythical style of other writings of the time. And there were other religions that had leaders that claim to be born of a virgin. And so the question is, so was Jesus born of virgin birth, a mother that had never had sex with a man? Or in the book of Isaiah, where the prophecy of a virgin born Messiah was first written in what this verse is referring back to when it says, as was said through the prophet, it's talking about the prophet Isaiah. The way Isaiah wrote that is crafted in a way that we could say he didn't actually mean a woman who had never had sex, but it actually means a woman who was very young. And and that's, and the way the language is crafted, you can certainly make the argument that Isaiah was saying a very young woman. And some say that 
we only see the virgin birth written about in Matthew and Luke. There are four gospels written about the life of Jesus, Matthew and Luke. Matthew alludes to the virgin birth in the passage we just read. And then Luke is very specific about the virgin birth. Mark and John never talk about the virgin birth. Paul, who's the most significant writer outside of the gospels in the Bible, never mentions the virgin birth. And as I was saying in, in the meeting before I got on live, for about 300 years, the first three centuries of the church, the virgin birth was not an important theological item in that church catechism, so to speak. But then another interesting read I had is, is that when they made the Nicene Creed in, I think in the 1600s that came about, and I could be wrong on that, but we're told in that there was no argument about whether Jesus was born of a virgin or not. They, they all were absolutely certain that that was a fact. So how do we read the Bible and decide which of these is true? And the way I'm starting to read the Bible now is I want to hold my theology really loosely. And that's very difficult for some fundamentalists and some evangelicals. And of course, many Catholics as well, because I want to decide what heels I'm going to die on. And, and I've landed in this place, and it's really tough for people that I'm going to die on the way I see Jesus live and the character of Jesus, because one thing I truly believe is Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That what Jesus wanted to do, he either was Emmanuel, God come to earth, or he was Emmanuel representing what that idea looks like. That if God is in me, what am I going to look like as a person? And and that's what a Christian is, somebody that looks like Christ, and Christ was reflecting the character of God. And so I want to live in a way where the, the commandments that I live by are love God, love your neighbor as yourself, and that is the containment of the whole of the preaching of the prophets forevermore. So I'm not going to kill you, literally or figuratively, thank you for the amen, Lisa P., if you say, I don't believe in the virgin birth, or if you say, I adamantly believe in the virgin birth, because I think we, I think there is room to argue it. Now, again, I know for some people that, that are very Jesus-centric in their belief system, that's really hard because we want to say, no, you have to believe that Jesus was God come to earth and the virgin birth is at the center of that. And, and I think you can really make a significant argument for that. And I totally understand that belief system. But I'm also not going to lose my faith and not going to lose my ability to draw others to this connection to God that I know through my belief in Jesus, because I'm going to fight on that theology. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Let me jump in for just a moment and tell you, I think mind renewal is really important in this season. In fact, hashtag mind renewal is one of my most used hashtags on my social media. What does mind renewal look like? Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this age. Don't be conformed to the bubble in which you live, but be transformed by the ongoing renewing of your mind so that you can know the good and perfect will of God. What it's saying is, keep, keep having your mind renewed, keep being transformed, so you don't get stuck in something old and in the past, but can see that you're in alignment with the heart of the Bible and the heart of heaven on an ongoing basis. And part of the way I do that is through spiritual coaching and through emotional well-being coaching. And I do it through something we call the Core Leaders Network. It's a curriculum I wrote a while back, or we do it with one-on-one -on -one ongoing spiritual coaching. If you're interested, send me an email. Go to my website, pastor-paul.com. I'm building a new website on this, so it's a little convoluted right now. But pastor-paul.com shoot me a message through the contacts page, the events contact page, and say, hey, I'd like to have a one-on-one -on -one and learn more about your coaching, either your emotional well-being uh, coaching program or ongoing one-on-one -on -one spiritual coaching. So again, pastor-paul.com. That'll take you to my podcast website. And if you click on the uh, contact events page, then you can shoot me an email through there. And I'll contact you and we'll get together one-on-one -on -one to talk about it. Okay, pastor-paul.com. Click on the events contact page. Send me an email and say, tell me more about coaching.
All right, now back to Pastor Paul's Bible Chat. We do it every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can join me live on TikTok or on YouTube. I hope you will this Saturday, 9 a.m. Pacific, Pastor Paul's Bible Chat. And now here's last Saturday's Pastor Paul's Bible Chat, the second half on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast, pastor-paul.com. And Andy Stanley's book was really all about, do I need to die on the hill of Noah was real and an actual person. And he led directly to the Christian faith and no other religion. And Jonah happened exactly as it was written and the Tower of Babel had to actually exist. Or can I say, if it's ever proven those things didn't happen, does that, does that mean everything I've believed is a lie? No, I can still connect back to, no, this thing still drove me to this connection to God. And I've wrestled with in different parts of my life of the idea of atheism and, and throwing out the belief system I grew up altogether and believing something else. And I keep coming back to, but no, the story of the Bible, of the Christian Bible is so magnificent and beautiful. And as I told you last week, the the lineage story of Jesus is so beautiful how it includes these non-Jewish people and these people that enter the story of the Bible through, through sex scandals. And God says, yes, I'm going to put Tamar in the lineage of Jesus just to show how inclusive that I am. Why would I throw out that story just because somebody proved to me that creation was in over an infinite period of time rather than over six 24-hour days? I, I'm not going to lose my religion over some of these things. And so I have to be honest about the fact that the early Christian church didn't find the virgin birth to be an arguable, diable reference point and be okay with that and say, okay, then I can hold that a little bit loosely. I think there's something miraculous about this man, Jesus. There's something supernatural. And I, and if I have to land on a human definition of what that is, I may end up shorting who God is and, and what my faith is. So that's just an explanation of how I look at theology as a whole now, which has been a big change for me. I, I once did a three-part series in my church when I was a senior leader of a church on uh, a different way to look at the end times and the prophetic and Revelation and Matthew 24 and the book of Daniel and had a family get up and walk out of my church in the middle of the service and they told me, if you don't know the answer, then you're not hearing from God. God would give you a definite answer for you to share. And I actually think just the opposite. I, there's a proverb that says, it is the pleasure of God to hide a manner and the honor of kings to search it out. I think the Bible is in, perhaps intentionally crafted in a way that makes it arguable and discoverable so we can read it over and over again and say, wow, I've never seen that aspect before. And then when the commands of Jesus are love God, love your neighbor as yourself, I think that's actually a roadmap for us that I have to read the Bible because this is the question then. How do I know anything's true of the Bible? You take it to God and, and you say, what does my spirit discern about this with God? And then you take it to somebody else around you that you trust and say, I'm thinking I used to believe this, but now I'm believing this. What do you think about that? Like I had an amazing conversation with a pastor friend of mine yesterday about the idea of gay marriage and can a Christian pastor perform a, a gay wedding ceremony? And we just both stay curious. I like that. Mr. Lead with Love is saying, love that. Good to see you. That's, that's my friend Casper, who does a great podcast. You got to check him out. And we were both just, hey, let's be careful and let's hold our theology loosely and let's explain to each other kind of the different aspects that we've seen of this. And at the end of it, neither of us were like, okay, now we know what the truth is. And this is where we are going forward. And instead we said, wow, this is really interesting to hear your perspective and to be able to hear it without us yelling at each other. It's fantastic. And what if we held our theology loosely like that? And maybe we would be less angry and divisive. And we certainly wouldn't have this political process where we're now saying you vote Republican or you're going to hell, which is, I believe is one of the most abominable teachings that's ever come into any church in any part of history. 
that led us to vote Donald Trump for president, I think if we were able to hold our theology a little more loosely, we wouldn't get staunch and silly things that really aren't in the Bible. And I'm challenging. I know it's hard for some people sometimes because I'm challenging really long-haired, long-held beliefs. I laugh at long hair because we were talking with my friend Tom earlier, and we both went to went to Christian colleges where things like how long your hair was and whether you wore jeans or shorts or women were only wore skirts were a big thing. And did those skirts actually come above their knees and all this stupid stuff that I don't think matters one iota to God. I'm going to tell you something. I have people ask me on a regular basis, what about multi-gender bathrooms? And, and I'm like, I actually don't think that matters one bit to God. I think what matters to God is in single gender bathrooms, there are pedophiles that would go after your son. just to, and So protect your son, protect your daughter. But that doesn't mean we can't dignify a transgender human being who's in female attire to go into a woman's restroom. Why do we have to steal that dignity from somebody in order to be theologically pure? Let's just stop with that. We can give human dignity to people. Even if they disagree with us theologically, even if they are off track from something we might believe. God's not, I just truly believe I, I'm not going to get to the throne of heaven someday and God's going to say, Paul, you know what I didn't like about you on earth? You just loved people too much. It just really made me angry when you gave grace to people. You were supposed to tell them they were wrong. I think my job is to connect people to the God of heaven and say, let him love on you. Let him show you how valuable you are. And you guys start to work out your belief system together. So Jim and Ray, so let's go. You can ask questions now, but let me pray over that. Lord, bless the words that I shared. And anything that's not of heaven, you brush it off people and let them be okay and not be bound for hell because of my false teaching. And what's of you, let it stick into people's hearts. Amen. All right. So you guys on TikTok, if you want to ask questions, type it in the comments. You guys on YouTube can do the same. And to my Patreon guys in the Zoom room, if you have a question or comment you want to make, just turn on your camera and raise your hand or something like that. And you can, you can ask your comment out loud. My TikTok guys, you're not going to be able to see the Zoom room, but you'll be able to hear them, I think. So, yep. So let me know. What are you guys asking about? Hey, Ron, how are you? Good to see you. Good to see your smiling face. So were you going to uh, ask something, Ron? Hang on a second. Let me get to, I can't hear you. Okay, there we go. There you are. Okay, good. Okay, I do. I bought this magazine this week, Jesus, the Origins of Christianity. And it really touched on something you said that was really interesting. Early Christianity, when it took off, there were really a lot of different sects with a lot of different theologies. And some didn't believe in the virgin birth, the Gnostics. And it really talks about that stuff here, how it really was a whole bunch of different beliefs still based around Jesus. But it was just a really interesting point that you brought up. Yeah. Just read that. Throughout the history of the church, we've been really comfortable with wrestling with theology and still not going to war over it. And this idea, this evangelical fundamentalist idea, and it's funny, evangelicals will, will say not fun, we're not fundamentalists, but we have very fundamental beliefs. This idea that we now know everything and there is no more argument because all knowledge has been obtained on what is theologically true about God is a very new creation in the history of the church. It's not where the church was long-term. Right. And I think when we settle for theologies, we're really settling for something short of a God that I believe is big and mysterious and outside the universe. Mm -hmm. And if I can explain him fully or explain God fully, some people don't like a patriarchal male God, and I'm okay with that. If I can explain God fully, it's a God that I've created, not the actual big God. Thanks, Ron. So somebody asked me, do I believe in witchcraft? I would love to know your definition of witchcraft. I believe Christians can do witchcraft. 
And I have people come on and tell me, you're a false teacher. I'm going to pray for you. And I believe that prayer is witchcraft. Witchcraft is I'm going to try to manipulate something of the supernatural. I'm going to try to manipulate you through something of the supernatural. So yes, there's witchcraft. And I believe there are Wiccan people that I know. I've met a few Wiccan people recently and they're not trying to cast spells on me, but, but you can try to manipulate people through the supernatural And I believe Christians can do that as well. And the Bible says, don't do that. So I believe there are witches that try to cast spells to manipulate people. And I believe that's really sinful. That's not taking people to relationship with God and saying, you work out your life with God. And so if a Christian is saying, bless you, I'm going to pray for you after they've called me a false teacher, then generally I assume, okay, I'm going to ask my prayer team to cover me. And I tell them right away, no, I have a prayer team that prays for me every day that I really trust. And I know they're praying in my best interest. So don't pray curse prayers or witchcraft prayers around me that you're trying to get God to manipulate me to become like you. If you're asking about that, I believe that is witchcraft. And yes, I believe there are people that try to manipulate human beings through the supernatural. And I don't believe that it's endorsed by the Bible that I read. Sure. Go ahead, Cindy. I think it was on your group page that somebody posted a video of a huge church where the preacher was going on and on praying supposedly a curse on people who had tried to resist Donald Trump and all this stuff. And yet the person commented like, this looks like witchcraft because you're trying to use God to curse people. Like when does God ever give you permission to use him to curse somebody? Yeah, it's actually what the the command that says, don't use the Lord's name in vain, it means. It doesn't mean don't Mm -hmm. say the S word or the F word. (laughs) It means means don't use God's name to damn people. So God damn is is a, a violation of a commandment because I'm damning you in the name of God, which I'm not supposed to do. Thanks, Cindy. All right. So Lisa on YouTube says, do you feel that this virus and Trump were possibly a test to Christians? So my basic belief system is I really don't believe God brings calamity for a good purpose. We always want to ascribe acts of God. Oh, that happened. And that must be God punishing some people. And I tend to stray away from that belief system. We really don't see that in the New Testament at all. And I believe some of those Old Testament stories, like somebody was asking earlier, what about the Levites taking the swords and killing other people, the Levites doing that? And I think those Old Testament stories a lot, we can explain either those were under an old covenant that was ended when Jesus came. And so therefore, we're not held to that standard anymore which I think is really important to understand. But also, we never see in the New Testament, Jesus saying, here's a storm. God sent that storm for our good. So let's not pray for that storm to stop. No, he just spoke and said, peace be still, and the storm ended. So I would not use that language necessarily that God gave us coronavirus and Donald Trump as a test of who we are. But I'll tell you this, There's no question in my mind he's using it to reveal who we are. The the heart of evangelicalism has been revealed in the season, and I think it's been found wanting. And I don't think God is pleased at all, like this pastor from Kentucky praying cancer and curses and saying, I want you to have a really bad year in the name of Jesus if you voted for Joe Biden and helped him pull off the fraud of the election, which is ludicrous, guys. Ludicrous. There's zero evidence. If you're a Christian still touting the fraud of the election, you need to go to God and say, God, test my heart because something is a foul here. <laughs> Lisa, I don't believe, I personally don't believe that God brought the virus to earth. I just don't think that's who God is. I just don't think there's a God saying, what pestilence can I bring to earth to, to, to show them how bad they are? I think we live life and pestilence comes out of that. And we choose Donald Trump because we've been taught for decades this end times theology and this partisan religion. And at some point we just start to believe, yeah, God wants this horrible man to be president for these purposes that don't actually happen to be in the Bible. But, you know, I've been convinced of it so long, it's the way I'm going to vote. And in a way, to the question earlier, that is witchcraft. All right. How do we grapple with family members who believe that, though? We're struggling. It's Ashley and I talk about it all the time. It's the question we get more than anything else. 
I'm abs- actually convinced that I'm going to have to do a seminar on dealing with political parents. So we have a great podcast on my website. Go to pastor-paul.com. It's with a young lady named Promise Inlow who has parents that are fairly famous in the prophetic community of our tradition of Christianity and how she is diametrically opposed to their political belief systems, but is fighting for relationship with her family. It's a really hard time for that right now that, that people believe their devotion to Donald Trump should give them permission to disown children and relatives and friends. It's just tragically sad. And it's a terrible bondage that's been put on people. QAnon is a terrible bondage that has come into our age. And we need to tell our friends and family, get out of it because it's horrifying. And Jesus came to set us free from bondage, not to put us in a new one. So somebody says, these guys actually believe if you vote a Democrat, you are going to hell. I know it's incredible. It's incredible. Someone's okay. This is from Nurse Poppy. Hi, Nurse Poppy. Love it if you guys tell me where you're joining from. We love that. I should mention that Kyler says the moment we understand God is the moment he ceases to be God. I agree. I would say the moment we understand God is we're now worshiping a God that we've created, an idol, rather than trying to understand the fullness of who the God of the universe and the creator is. KMJS on YouTube says to reveal who we are. So true said. Thank you. So Nurse Poppy says, someone said to me, God's word does not change based upon your opinion or feeling. What do you think? The problem with that statement is God may not change and his word may not change, but we change. And And we've argued over the interpretation of scripture for a long time. And it's very valid because some of the text we, we lost there. We know Paul wrote another letter to the Corinthians. We don't have Mark maybe likely wrote his book based upon a, another text out there that we don't have. And so it's arguable what the interpretation of these things are because we don't know everything. And so to say it doesn't change based upon your opinion or feeling is, again, not recognizing the truth of what it is that that even our canon of the Protestant scripture was voted on by men who disagreed with what should be in there. And there was huge disagreements of whether Jude should be in the Bible or not, because it refers, it has a reference to an apocryphal text. Even Jesus refers to texts and stories that aren't in the canon. And our brothers and sisters in the Catholic church have a different Bible than we do. And our, our, our more uh, Eastern Orthodox friends have a different text than we have. So, How can I claim to hold all knowledge and all truth in my canon when it was human beings that put that together? And and could they have been inspired by God? Absolutely. I think the Bible is amazing, and I refer to it all the time, and this is a Bible chat for that. But to think that we can't argue over the meaning when it's clear that some things don't line up. So let me ask you this. So this idea of God never changes this is a question I ask people all the time. We stand on this passage that Jesus said marriage is between one man and one woman. And and we're like, I I believe in the, the literal translation of the Bible, Jesus said marriage is between one man and one woman. And so I say, you know who didn't believe that? King David didn't believe that statement. King David had multiple wives. And on his deathbed, he had a virgin, a young virgin, sleeping with him on his deathbed. And the Bible never says God demanded that he repent of that. King David could never be a pastor of an evangelical church in the United States, yet we revere him like crazy. But this multiple wives things and a virgin on your deathbed would be a disqualifier for us. So if God never changes, why did God say David was a man after my own heart when we would say, David, you're not allowed to be in the church because you're a bigamist? Abraham was chided for having sex with his slave girl, Hagar, not because he had sex with a woman that wasn't his wife, but because he was taking God's promise into his own hands. But somehow God understood the culture in which they lived and said that was okay. Now, we would say that's horrifying. It's horrifying to have sex with a woman that's not your wife. And particularly the fact that you have a slave girl and you can just take her sexually because your wife says, here, take her. We would find that horrifying. And Abraham would be banned from our churches and damn well should be. 
But if God never changes, why didn't God demand he repent of having the slave girl and certainly of having sex with the slave girl and having her as a slave at all? Jacob was lauded for how he went and got his second wife, Rachel, after being tricked into marrying Leah first. How can you tell me that God never changes? God was able to somehow accommodate that cultural norm into his interaction with humanity. So I guess that would be the question I would put back on people. If God never changes and his word never changes, then David's in hell right now, based upon that interpretation of the Bible. He would have to be, or else the Bible would be lying. Or we understand that God is really gracious and he deals with people where they are. And so that includes the people today that you don't think deserve God's favor. That's what Jesus hanging with the Samaritans was all about. He's, you don't think these people deserve God's favor because they're not a part of your religion and you feel like they haven't in fact corrupted your religion. And Jesus is like, no, God loves them as much as he loves you. Who is it today that you would say doesn't deserve God's favor? And I would say, Jesus, if he were on earth today, he'd be hanging out with those guys. That LGBTQ plus community, I think, is a perfect example of where God would say, I want you to go hang with those guys. I actually don't want you to hang with those staunch Christians. I would rather you go hang with those the staunch Christians say don't deserve my love and favor. I believe it strongly. That's why, that's why I do what I do today. All right. I know I'm not getting to your comments. The Amish still do that and worse to their women. The Amish do a lot of beautiful things that I think are really amazing and honorable, but yeah, our, our religious teaching on how to treat women has been abhorrent and I think continues to be abhorrent in evangelical circles. Women can lead, women can wear pants, women can wear shorts, they can wear short skirts. I remember during the Super Bowl when, oh gosh, I'm such an old guy, I can't remember the name of the, the young woman who performed, J-Lo was one and, the, and Shakira. And people were like, oh, that's so horrible, these women, sexualizing themselves on stage. And my thought was like, maybe that's a you issue. Maybe you're sexualizing them with your eyes. They feel like they're just performing in a really cool outfit. I don't know. Mike Pence won't meet with women alone. I'm just like, okay, Mike Pence, maybe that's a you issue that you need to deal with God with because women deserve to have an audience with the vice president of the United States just as much as a man does. And if you can't handle that sexual pool in your life, ask God to help you with that. I don't think we should be foolish with any of that, but to put women at a severe disadvantage in culture because of a misinterpretation, I think of what the Bible says is really not God's heart. The only thing I struggle with about voting Democrat is abortion. I did a series of videos even this week on the idea of the politics of abortion and what the Bible actually says about abortion. And I would really encourage you to go watch it. And again, if I can ask, go watch my videos. For some reason, TikTok has like, I don't think they've shadow banned me, but can I use the word shadow banned? Like all of a sudden screeching halt on my videos. So do me a favor and just go scroll. You don't even have just five seconds on each one. Scroll through and, and let's see if we can get uh, some of the momentum back up. And I don't say that because I want to be rich and famous and, and a dancing TikTok influencer, but I want the message to continue to get out to people. You can vote Democrat. So, so there are things when you vote Republican, I believe in some ways you're voting directly against some significant commands in the Bible. If you think voting Republican is voting Christian and voting Democrat is not because of abortion, then we have to come wrestle with. So where does the Bible say abortion is the number one thing on God's heart? Because to me, the Bible clearly indicates taking care of the poor, the foreigner, the marginalized, those who don't have resources, making sure they have resources. That is God's number one priority. So I could make a stronger case from the Bible. I think that voting Democrat is godly than voting Republican. Now, I don't think either of those are true. So don't read me wrong. But the idea that, oh, if I'm voting Democrat, I'm not voting Christian is a really abhorrent lie. And then in my videos, I talk about how, let's go back to the genesis of when abortion became a political manipulation tool of the Republican party. It actually is documented and we know when it happened. And it wasn't 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed. It was 1979 when 
when uh, Republicans wanted to defeat Jimmy Carter in the upcoming election, which is ironic because Jimmy Carter is probably the most evangelical, most Christian pastor that we've ever, or, or president that we've ever had, or certainly in my lifetime. Black Mamba says, I wish you were my pastor. We do have a Sunday gathering online. If you go to my website, pastor-paul.com, that'll take you to my podcast page. And on the events contact page, it tells you about our Sunday service. So you guys on Zoom, you can ask questions if you want. So just unmute yourself and, and wave at me. Lisa says on YouTube, I personally feel God knows my heart. No man can tell me how to vote. I agree. I agree. So yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Have you ever thought of running for public office? <laughs> that's from Nameless365. I used to believe early in life that I definitely would be an elected official, but my wife is the one that ran for office and was mayor of our city for two terms. And she'll, she may run again sometime in the future. She may end up being the elected official in our family. And I'll just, I'll just really support her in that. Yeah. Christina says, thank you for making me feel less crazy. Ha, my views of Jesus have always been this way. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. Women deserve an audience with church leaders too. I agree. Because he can't trust himself. They're saying, yeah, we're, I think, probably talking about Mike Pence or some other leaders. My children were the ones who pointed out my judgmental behavior. That's from Kyler85. Yeah, guys, we have to look at ourselves in the mirror. I think that's what somebody was asking. Is God using Donald Trump as a punishment for us? I'm saying, no, God's using Donald Trump as a mirror so we can truly see ourselves. All right, I have about 10 more minutes. So at 1030 in about a little over half an hour or so, somewhere 1030 ish, we say my wife and I do a live show together. So I hope you'll join us for that on TikTok and YouTube. And if you think, hey, I would love to help spread this message and grow it. There's a couple of ways to do it right now. I'm asking everybody to go on my TikTok page, scroll through my videos, because for some reason, my activity on my page has just died off. And I don't know why there's no explanation for it and go to my YouTube page and subscribe. And, and if you can watch some there too, I know you guys have other parts of your life going on, but I just did a really important video, I think on the verses of abortion in the Bible, the passages that are used to support the single issue voting idea and how I, I look at those verses like Psalm 139, a young man like really attacked me pretty significantly on uh, on TikTok the other day saying Psalm 139 proves that abortion should be the most important thing because it says God knitted us together in our mother's womb and he knew all our days before they came to be. And my response to that, and you can see the video on YouTube is that verse also says God knew us before when we were in the depths of the earth. And, and in, I think it's, First Corinthians, I may be wrong on that now. But in the New Testament, there's two or three times it says God knew us before, before he, he created the earth. So some of that is metaphorical. A lot of Psalms is poetic language. So we have to be careful about making theology out of that. And even Jeremiah, when it says, I foreknew you, we have to be careful about making a theological political construct out of that. And the other thing, when Psalm 139 says, God knew all our days before we ever had one. Here's my question. And again, I know this is a tough one, but it's just to get us thinking and challenging ourselves. If God knows all our days before they come to be, does that only begin at conception? Or is it true what the Bible said that he knew, he foreknew us before the laying of the foundations of the earth? And if he knows all our days before they happen, then wouldn't he know the abortion was going to happen? Why would he be surprised and his destiny for that soul, if it is a soul in the womb, if you believe that, how could that destiny be stolen if God is big enough to foreknow that's coming and adjust his plan for that? So none of this is to say that I believe God is for abortion. I think every unwanted pregnancy is, is heart-rending heart for God, heart-rending that a mother and her family and, and perhaps the father who we hope is involved in that decision are, are struggling with the decision. That breaks God's heart too. And so why aren't we trying to figure out how to solve that? So it's the question of, 
Do I have to be staunch, angry, divisive, and driving two generations away from the church because I have to vote Republican for abortion? And let me be absolutely frank in what I'm saying, that we become central in electing a terrible person for president of the United States because we're being manipulated by the political issue of abortion and the other issues that now have become attached to it. Low taxes, embassies in Israel, you name the gun rights, all the other things that now we believe are biblical requirements of Christians that just aren't in the Bible. That's the argument I'm trying to make on this. So I understand why you say it's hard for me to vote Democrat because of abortion, but then tell yourself it's okay for me to vote for the right candidate because my job is to vote for justice and shalom in my communities, not just laws to impose Christianity as the law of the land. Exactly. It's a you issue. Well said, Pastor. My cho- Let's see. Anybody else have anything to share here in the last five minutes? I don't believe in abortion, says newbie, but I do believe women have the right to decide. You look like you got a haircut. (laughs) I did get a haircut. I did. We're finally allowed to get haircuts out here. And I was able to get one and do it very safely with a mask on. Wow, guys, I'm so sorry. I missed so many comments on here. My pastor believes abortion and Roe v. Wade was the biggest fall of man. I can't return now. So if, if that's true, let me tell you this. The Roman culture had a practice called exposure, where a father, for any reason that he didn't like a baby, was allowed to leave that baby on the side of the road to perish. Either an animal would carry it away, or somebody could take it to be a slave, or even take it to be grown as a sex slave. And that was a really common practice in the Roman culture when Jesus was on earth. So he would have been aware of that practice. And never once is it recorded in the Gospels of him saying, you you hear that baby crying on the side of the road over there first, let's go get it and save its life, which, by the way, is what Christians did later in history that caused Rome to change its heart toward the practice, and then its law changed downstream of the heart change. Hello, maybe a model for us. The Christians would go out and collect the babies and raise them and save their lives. And by doing that, the Romans were like, wow, we feel a little guilty that we're doing this. So let's change the law. The law changed downstream of the heart change of culture, not the law changing to try to impose Christian law to force people to behave in a Christian way. But Jesus never once said, that is why Rome will fall. That is it. That is the biggest downfall of humanity. So how can Roe v. Wade, which we can argue right or wrong, I'm not saying it's not arguable, but how can it be the biggest fall of man and the determiner of of whether America is going to be great again or not, when Jesus never once indicated that was a priority of God? And he also never talked about homosexuality either, but that's, don't get me started on a whole nother term. Okay. Do you have a YouTube page? Yes. Pastor Paul, the Pastor Paul channel on YouTube. Go check it out. It's lovely. It's beautiful. I have a website, pastor-paul.com, which is my podcast page. I'm on TikTok and I hope you guys check me out on all those places. So pastor-paul.com has all the information. If you go to the events contact page, you can reach out to me through that and you can see our events on Saturday, our Sunday get together where we take communion together. I would love for you to join us for that. How do we deal with prosperity gospel family when we go through trials? I have terminal cancer. Ooh. Metastatic millennial. Oh my gosh. You're a young woman with terminal cancer. Just let me say, ouch, that hurts my heart. That hurts my heart. So my belief system around things like this are first that God, his heart hurts for you a ton. He's empathetic because he lived our lives and he knows how painful that is. I do believe that God interacts in the affairs of man from time to time, but I don't know how that happens and how God makes what that just decision. And I'm way less convinced that I know how to bring that down to happen. 
but metastatic millennial, I do pray for you. If you need somebody to walk alongside you, if you don't have a faith community that's walking that well with you, I have people that will love you through that. Lisa on YouTube says she's praying for you. So God, we just pray for metastatic millennial. I would love for you to reach out for me, either a DM through TikTok or through my website, pastor-paul.com. But I'm so sorry to hear you have terminal cancer as a young woman. And, and God, somehow take away that word terminal. Gosh, I hurt with you. I'm so sorry. Thank you, Pastor, for sharing. It makes me feel like I'm not alone in my thoughts. Can you repeat the website, pastor-paul.com? That'll link you to some of my YouTubes and things. I think it's easier to check the abortion and gay boxes than allow Christ to radically change our lives. Yeah, I think abortion has become a big deal because it's a really easy way for us to feel Christian and have self-righteousness over other people. Dave Watson says, I'm an agnostic, but I find your words very inspiring and constructive. Oh, by the way, I'm going to be on a podcast. Gosh darn it. I'll put something on online about it. Sunday, I'm going to be on a podcast with a guy, and I don't know a lot about him, but I wish I had spent more time figuring that out so I could tell you guys about it. Don't you think if God knew us, why don't you think he would know we would be aborted? Yeah, it's, it's the question I've been asking. If God knows all our days before they happened, then the abortion wouldn't surprise him, and, and his provision for our destiny would, would be adjusted and provided for. And again, I'm not saying that means God rejoices over abortion. He's just not quite as thrown by it, I think, as we are. That The whole point of the story of the Bible is God overcoming death, that we no longer have to fear death. And I had somebody tell me once, abortion is the thief of the destiny, is the theft of the destiny of a, of a child. And I'm like, how can that be? If God is the provider and creator of destiny, if that's your belief, then how can it be stolen by human beings? that I believe even a 16-year-old killed in a tragic car accident is nothing to be celebrated in the slightest, and we cry and we grieve over it. But in no way do I believe that young person's destiny is stolen, because I believe in a really big God who has overcome death. My God, people, we need to believe in a bigger God, not this little American white one that we've created. He's bigger than that. Focus on abortion was a calculated choice, not scriptural. I agree. Job 38.4. Yeah, I don't know what it says. I'm sorry. I wish I had it all memorized. Pastor, do you have a TikTok that includes your website, URL, podcast link, etc.? Yes, I do. In my bio on TikTok, it has my website and my YouTube. So you can see it there. Lisa says, one day I will share my abortion story, 15 years old. Oh my goodness, Lisa. So in my book, Lisa, I'm going to have to send you a copy of my book. Send me a DM and remind me. I talk about a story of how I think Jesus would deal with a post-abortive woman and provide love for them. Ugh. Yeah. We need to pray for better living and better people. You can't compare our concept of time with an all-knowing God. We still have a choice in our actions. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But the question is, do I get to condemn others for their choices? Because there is a purpose brought from the abortion. The story is bigger. God knows the bigger stories. Our taxes continue to go up in Trump's tax plan anyway. Yeah. How do they reconcile pro-life and pro-gun? Good questions to ask. I think God knows everything, but God gave us free will and our sins are our own. I think our programs to support the unwanted pregnancy will resolve the issue. That I really believe it. I really believe that if we changed our view of this political approach to abortion, that solutions from heaven could come, but they're blocked right now because we're so sure, we're so positive that imposing a Christian law is what God wants us to do, that we can't hear any other solution or hope. All right, guys, I'm out of time. Check out Pastor Nadia Boltz Weber, her book about abortion. Yeah. Sending you love on a hard day, Lucy Lewis says to somebody who's hurting out there. Jesus was radically loving to all. Yeah. God is so much bigger than that. Amen. Amen. I've got a couple of amens. I love your lives. So poignant. Thank you. Okay. Half an hour-ish. My wife and I will be back to my Patreon guys that joined me today. I love you guys so much. Bless their families. Bless them for blessing 
me financially and hope they enjoy the content they have there. If you ever want to help out financially, you can join on our Patreon page. If you go to the website, pastor-paul.com and click on that Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner, it will show you how you could have joined me live for a little while for half an hour before I came on today and been a part of our Zoom room. YouTube followers, I love you. YouTube gave me some props the other day for hitting 500 subscribers. TikTok guys, I can never tell you enough how much your encouragement and joy means to me. So love you all. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.